Harry, Never. can we stop the fucking gambling? Never. Believe you me, that becomes more important than having two million pound on the All Blacks when you got five. You know, I owed the boys. You know, they looked after me when I was in there. So basically, if I didn't do it, I was a wrong one. I genuinely thought I was the happiest person in the world. And when you're the happiest person in the world, you, you, you do fear death. You do fear death. Yeah, you do. The sinking sand of despair The smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry ah. I don't understand the way that the world's gone at all. I don't understand the... You know, the what's, way, your, what's your take on Brexit? Uh, well, I'm just so glad it's going to happen and just... You know, I think that democracy was in real trouble if it had gone the other way. But I think the major, the major problem is that people your age and perhaps a little bit older than you don't realise just what a social, what what the socialist environment that that our kids go through school in now. Yeah. The schools and then what what our kids are being taught now at school is just it's it's scary, and um, that's why we have momentum and that's why we have so many young people. If if you know as, as great as Boris's win was, if it was. Just under twenty six. You like Boris though? Would he not kind of be nearly? Well, this is what you, you know. People about? said people. You know, I, I I don't know him personally. I do know a couple of politicians personally, but not Boris. But um, he's certainly making the right waves early on. And I just think the most important thing is that democracy is down. I I really find the argument with Europe is crazy, and that no one actually talks about what's happening in Europe right now. I I still go to Europe six seven times a year, and as a young man, went a lot more and. Um, you know, Europe's not, not I, don't, I don't even think that, I mean, people, the main answer, the, the, the anti-Brexit people are saying about, talking about their kids and their grandkids' future. I don't think there's any chance there'll be a European Union in 20, oh, no. 25 years. So no. I don't understand the major, the whole, the whole major argument's faulted to me. Are we recording? Anyway. Yeah, it's recording. Okay, yeah, so, right. Um, welcome to episode 60 of the Michael Anthony Show. If you've been listening to us over the past few months you know that we enjoy getting on folks from all different walks of life but interesting people who have incredible stories and today undoubtedly we're joined by one of modern life's truly fascinating men outlaw rebel a man who loves a risk harry finley welcome to the michael anthony show morning or afternoon now <laughs> would you say like you obviously made your living from gambling from yeah. predicting the outcomes of sports that's yeah. how you spent your life, and quite a luxurious life. You got to see the world. You got to do things that many people could only dream of. But would you still say it's an addiction, or do you think that can be contextualized? Uh, I'd say it's with me definitely. It's a borderline addiction, and I, I'd say that's you know drummed in more than ever in the last three or four years. You know, but luckily, I've fortunately I've realised more and more every day, especially in the last couple of years, that. You know the, the the buzz of gambling, the buzz of winning at gambling. It, it's it's just it, it's better than anything else. And uh, if you can manage to um, juggle the balls and, and keep your nose in front, then uh, I, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't change anything. I think I'm very lucky that I've lived in a time where it's possible to bet it the way the way I have. I think the, the timing's a lot to do with it. Is the balls from a competitive instinct similar to nearly playing sport? Is gambling for you the second best thing? That's a very good question. I mean, I, I, as a young boy, five, I remember, I remember vividly, my, my my falling in love with football at 
I, mean, I remember walking on a football pitch as, as a five-year-old, the first full-size pitch. Uh, I remember walking on that as a five-year-old and just being blown away by the whole thought of it. I knew that I was, you know, age five, I knew that football was, until I got, until I went ground racing for the first time, I was obsessed with football. And even now I watch every football, I watch more football than anyone else I know. And I, I still love the game. And uh, in the early 70s, I was told that football was going was gonna to be finished and football was going to be skinned. And when you used to go out at nightclubs on a Saturday night you'd, and you'd been to see Chelsea, you wouldn't even tell birds about it because football... It had the hooliganism tag and oh, stuff like that. borderline embarrassing being a football fan in the in the mid seventies, and here you are now. It's completely taken over the world, and and I knew when I was five that football. I knew the I knew the I knew I was obsessed with football. When and I you wanted five, it. You you weren't bad as an underage player. No, I was bad. I I, I give myself every chance. I trained harder than anyone. I played football more than anyone. So and I knew the game. So I read the game well. So I scored a lot of goals. But really, as I said in the book, technically age 12, poor. Age twelve, I um. You know, I, I, if it wasn't for the fact the coach loved how much I tried and was part of the team outside of the actual uh, 70 minutes or whatever it was at the time, um, I would have been dropped when we stepped up to being a better team and got a few better players in. I really should have been given the elbow, but I stayed on primarily as a substitute. And So, to, yeah, so it know. is it is sport to you. It's not necessarily about the money. Do you, ever, do you play lotto, for example? No. Because there's no buzz on it. No, there's no buzz. But if you won 20 million in the lotto, would you retire from gambling or would you keep oh, punting? Oh, no, I, I, that's one of the... You're asking questions right on the bell because, I mean, in the last podcasting i done, funnily enough, with Andy, um, you know, I mentioned that, you know, I, I, after what the BHA done to me and after I got involved at Coventry, taking on the world the way I did and being in such a terrible state afterwards, you know... Fighting back, I, I just think initially it was it was only the buzz of being right and gambling and winning that that got me right, and I and I think it, it beats everything. And if if for example, I, I you know I know from experience that if you're really wealthy, you know you can't enjoy the gambling quite as much. And yeah. Tony Bloom used to always say to me, "Harry, you're overspending, you're overspending your helicopters." And f you, you know, in the book we didn't even mention what I was like as spending money. I mean, you know, I, I was the greatest. And, Did you um, nearly spend? Because I remember, I think it was Conor McGregor said a few years ago that he spends as though so he has the motivation to keep fighting. Well, I, I borderline again, borderline again. I used to, I used to, if I didn't spend the dough, if I didn't have the horses at the time, I'd have been collecting maybe four or five, six mil. And you, and you, you know, I was, you know, I, don't, I mean, at the time when I was really firing, I had the knowledge that I was in the back of my mind. I had two grand to style with Tony Bloom forever, which I knew was like a pension for life. So that gave me a bit of thing, but I, I was—I know I was spending too much. But you know, you, looking back on it, I don't regret any of it. Times ten, I don't regret it because already now I'm fifty-seven, and when you're travelling about, you don't want to do so much. You start going to bed a bit early. You haven't got it in your legs. So when me and Kay were really, really travelling all the time and spending it, and that we done it when we were young, and it is the best time to do it. So do you nearly enjoy the drama of the whole thing of going broke and making it again? Is it nearly entertainment? Because you're no, 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 especially you're into now. <laughs> you're very you're into philosophy. And when you were yeah. young you scored highly academically. You're no, uh, only, you're only in certain things I scored highly academically. I'm a Dostoevskyite. I'm good at what I like, I'm good at what I enjoy. But you're a deep thinker, undoubtedly. Yeah, do you but need when, the when entertainment. You're a, when, when you're a gambler, when you're a gambler, you see this is this is I, I am like Dostoevsky and he like I know that Dostoevsky was a, considered a great deep thing because he wrote Crime and Punishment, and I can't even understand it. But, or I can't stand a lot of the stuff that he writes. I understand all his philosophy because he is a gambler. But 
if he had the choice, he wouldn't have been writing those books. He would, if, if Dostoevsky was alive now, was alive now, no possible way would he be? He'd be on Betfair. He'd, he'd be on Betfair. Just, there's just not even, there's not even a doubt about it. You spent a lot of time in the states, but you've been to the states yeah. watching NFL and Vegas going, stuff I'm like that. To, you've, you've gambled in the I'm USA. I'm going to see the Super Bowl in February the second for the first time. I'm going to go and see. Up. All the dog tracks are closing in Florida. Who do you think wins year. it? Who do you think wins oh, it? I don't know, but not the. No, you got it on tape that it will not be New England. What did you lose on them recently? No, I didn't fancy them last year, and they won it. I thought they were over the. You know, so they can't win it this year. Um, if, they, if they win it this year, I'm so. Do wrong, you but. think that gambling being legalized in the USA is a good thing? Or do you think they're fucked now? They've they've struggled with food. They struggle with opioids. They they are an addictive race. They're the only place in the world where there's 300 million people who actually speak English and are all in the one place. England has limited numbers. Are Ireland. It is the only place in the world where it's in real danger of overdoing itself, as we see with mass shootings and shit like that. Do you think gambling is going to completely fucking destroy the United States as a society? Well, not, 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 not stringently or anything, not, not, not anything dramatically, because I, I just think that gambling is a lot further down the line now. There's a lot of illegal gambling in America anyway, and those that are primarily gambling are finding a way to get on anyway. But I'd like to think that. Certainly in this country, gambling's under a lot more review at the moment with regards to regulation and stuff like that. And people aren't allowed to, you know, people are seriously being checked where the money's coming from before they're allowed to bet with companies now. And stuff Do you agree like with that? that? Well, I, I don't agree and I don't disagree because I, I, I tend not to talk, talk about things I'm not, I don't sort of know a hell of a lot about. I don't, wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't know the right and wrongs for there. Certainly, I mean, Tom Watson was talking about restricting everyone to a £100 limit. I certainly wouldn't be doing that. You know the way if you want to go invest money with an investment banking company and you want to buy stocks, and they sit you down, there's a solicitor there, they assess your income, and they talk about how much you're allowed to take out. Do you think that if somebody has an addiction, like a guy who's, let's say, 55, and he's not a sports nut like yourself, and he doesn't have the insight of numbers and contacts and experience, yeah. and he just is an, an addict, and he has two daughters he has to feed and pay their school fees, and he's allowed to get 60 grand from his bank and go to a bookies, do you think that he should actually be assessed and you should have to, let's say, sit down with Paddy Power and go, I'm investing four grand into it, we'll do off that four grand, my next deposit, we need to sit down again. Do you think it should be more... Yeah, I, I can't... I mean, you know, like... There's, and that's what I do think has changed. I do think that they are, I've heard from so many people that the laws are changing and they are being a lot stricter on that sort of thing. But certainly when you, you know, when you know, you know your punters and there should, should, should certainly be stricter, stricter regulations when people, you know, are spinning out of control. The, the, the big problem with gambling is, Michael, that most, the, 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 the number of people that win is a very, very small number. The percentage of winners is very, very small. But there is a, a lot bigger percentage of people who win and have consistent long spells and almost get a living out of it, and then suddenly they hit the bad spells. It's the difference between winning and losing. So often comes down to how you handle yourself when the when it goes wrong. And you need the personality to go with it as well. You're a guy who'd be considered, especially by people who spoke about you in the past, very charismatic, uh, good to be around, good crack. You know a lot about yeah, a lot not, of different I'm not things. As, I've had that knocked out of me a little bit, and my punting's been affected. I'm not. I mean, I was always known by my friends. Uh, I don't have a lot of friends, but you know, I always had people say, oh, "Great big entourage." I never had an entourage. But you had the <laughs> ability to get t- money when you were gone, yeah, because I, you had trusted I, friends, yes, you trusted contacts, and, had, and you were generous when you had it. Yes, which is which worked, which works going back to eternity, going back to drinking with your mates. Why was I allowed to 
not bomb around on a Thursday night or a Friday night when yeah. I had nothing because they knew that I'd have a turn and when I did yeah. I looked after everyone and I believe in that philosophy so part of the skill wasn't just your sporting knowledge it was your overall you know like a, bar- oh, a barrister was, it's not just yeah. how much he knows about law but it's how he manoeuvres a room yeah. it's how much he gets his clients trust was part of your skill 50% sports knowledge and mathematics etc and 50% just sheer relationship management oh, I, I, I'd, I'd say that without, without, without question I mean I you know, without without your friends help to get you going again. But you, the thing is, you got you when you when you back a winner, you got to pay people back. That's how the world goes around, and will look after people. And you know, you know, I, even even now looking back, looking back, when because I had a spell of fifteen years, obviously when I when I didn't have any real financial problems ever, so that was handy. But when it did go wrong three or four years ago and badly wrong, it you know the number of little times where I've got going again from people that from something that's happened from before where I've looked after someone and they've you know I've might have even forgot about it but it's it's got me going and obviously in order to commit your life to something there has to be that moment that makes you go this is actually doable and you have forged a living and raised children and had a successful marriage which is rare for someone who has such a volatile lifestyle yeah but what was the moment like when you were younger that was the big fucking oh, win that you go I'm gonna be a gambler when I, when I won I always said that you know, if you had a tank, you'd be, I'd be unbeatable. And I was still now. I mean, I've the money I've won the last three years betting without a tank. I, it's, I'm, I'm more impressed with that than anything else. But to be fair, most of it's the biggest percentage is Glenn's horses. But um, the fact that I've managed to win so much in the last three, win enough in the last three years to keep us going. Um, you know, when, when I've had a limited tank, it is it, has been staggeringly good especially because you you know lights always says you lose your arsehole when you get over 40 and the fact that i have lost my arsehole you're not as brave as does cost me money i'm far too i'm far too careful now have you lost the arsehole due to do you think bravery as opposed to knowledge the fact what's happened to me lost a bit of it when you get older you lose it a bit and i'm just a lot more careful um but you know that keeps you going but it does stop it does limit you know it does limit you from what, a little bit. What was your What was your peak of when you were at your? Because I remember I'm not a huge horse racing guy. Yeah. But one thing that for me, even growing up, and everyone I know who was just a semi horse racing guy, when Denman was racing against Cato yeah. Star, that was the Messi Ronaldo moment. That yeah. was when fucking yeah, yeah. you walk down, you'd walk down the street, and yeah. people's grandmothers would know what Denman and Cato Star were up to. Yeah. The 08 Gold Cup was the most highly yeah. anticipated race, definitely since I've been alive. Yeah. And you played a huge role in, in hyping that up to an extent. You're kind of were the Don Kingish, not the same yeah. guy, but the, the you know what I mean. You were the promoter yeah. nearly of the whole race. Yeah. Was that your peak? Was that when Harry Finley well, was established? Well, I mean, as, as a, I mean, it's been in the in the media. Like, I mean, from a personal point of view. Um, my my own personal peak was definitely, um, I mean, was was my coursing times with with Eddie Donnelly and Curly O'Driscoll, and they were my favourite times from a personal point of view. As a young man, I, I I used to give every day if I had a diary for three and a half years, and I'd give every day points out of ten, and the most tens I ever got were, would would have definitely if I'd have carried on doing it through the rest of my life. The tens with um, the course in when Jay's dilemma won a trial stake when uh, Jake when Big Fella Thanks won the Derby when Big Fella Thanks won the, the New Ross Cup they they were all the best days of my life. Um, Denman it was slightly different. Um, Denman it was you know if someone says to me what was the best thing about owning Denman I don't think owning horses is a great thing because I think betting on them 
and falling in love with horses is as good as owning them. I think owning horses. I've never actually owned a horse myself. I started owning them for my mum's sake because she was a retired nurse. But Denman, like, you but kind Denman, of owned it, though, didn't Denman, you? Denman, yeah, I did. Although I did, it wasn't... I owned half of it. So I was with my mum, obviously. But I, I felt the greatest part of... The best part of owning horses, a horse like Denman, was the fact that you were involved at, you know, at Cliff End's decisions with tactics with Paul Barber. And Paul Barber was really in his prime when when Denman was running in the early stages. And, uh, you know, we had the race planned, you know, our, our own our own self. Because don't forget, Paul Nichols trained Corto Star and Denman, and Paul Nichols would have preferred Corto Star to win. So Paul Barber and I had to do our own our own thing to make sure, certainly in 2008, that we got the pace that we wanted. There was a beautiful conflict to the story, though, as well. Like, Denman was the rough and tumble. Oh, I'll, I'll go through a fence if I'm not going over Oh, absolutely. And Cotto I mean, Star was the Dennis Burke on the Eric Cantona. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I called him the tank. I was the one who gave him the name, the tank. And that was it down the road from here at Exeter Racecourse. And in his first ever race over fences, he literally never took off and he went straight through the fourth last fence. And he was running against Penzance. And, you know, when you do that, you just lose three or four lengths and you try and get back. I thought he could still win the race at the time. But it wasn't that. He was he was 20 yards after the fence. Demon was level with his top-class horse, having gone straight through the fourth, last fence. Yeah. I mean, he just missed it out. And I just, from then onwards, and even knowing him before what his personality was like and and seeing what he'd done that day at that fence, he, he is a tank, and he was a tank. And who knows how good he could have been because I believe that, you know, we all know now that he had, he had a heart defect after that Gold Cup. And uh, personally, I think if he hadn't have done, I think he'd have won, well, I can't even... You know, it sounds dark, I'll tell you what I think so. But, I mean, it was great to be, that's what I enjoyed most about it, being involved in, 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 in you know, the tactics on that Gold Cup day in 2008, to me, being involved in that. Because there was a non-runner. There was a non-runner on the day of the race, and it changed things slightly. And I remember getting to Cheltenham and early in the, you know, in the morning, and Paul Barr said, Paul, they're, they're, they're. And Mr. Barber said, don't worry, Harry. He said, it's all taken care of. And and owning Paul, having a part, Paul Barber and I were, we're a great partnership to own a horse like Denman, and I think it was good for racing. And uh, but uh, obviously, upset a lot of people. That's why they come after me. But uh, what was the thinking behind the card for Otago the early eighties? So what was happening? You were spending a lot of time at the Greyhound tracks. Yeah, I, and and boys were coming up to you, and they said, "This is a way to get bankroll. This is a way to get ready." Oh, yeah, it was eighteen, nineteen, and obviously that's what it was. And they, they'd ask you to go out and. Uh, you know, buy buy whiskey and fags and go fifty fifty. But you you were getting buzzed every second every time you go and buy whiskey and fags on a credit card. You, yeah. So it was a lot easier buying uh, cashmere sweaters and knocking them out to punters at the golf tournaments than it was doing the uh, the whiskey and the fags. So. Uh, and you were picked up then at a golf event. The stories about you being in jail are absolutely fascinating, and the camaraderie you learned. That's why. I mean, I wrote the book when I was really on the floor, and I, I and. I mean, many's are more than I woke up, and I just thought I can't do this. Who wants to read the story anyway? And I just and but right in the prison chapter, uh, when I wrote the prison chapter and I finished the prison chapter, I, I went to bed and I thought that's just about perfect. And you've hit the nail on the head with that camaraderie because those that esprit de corps, as you talk about, um, was 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 great. Was a great lesson. I'll never. You know, and that's why when I when I wrote on that, when I wrote it in the book, I wanted people to 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 to, to see that and realize. And that. it nearly, in a way, that it teach you the importance of generosity in terms of 
sacrificing elements yourself in order to get it back, which in a way was a key trigger for the success of your gambling career. I mean, the story about you actually taking the risk when you were only a week more in prison to put the fucking weed up your arse and go back in for your buddies. Well, I, I didn't have a lot of choice in that because, I, I, you know, the boys looked after me. So, And I was, I was only ever... I had no girlfriend at the time. I was, uh, uh, I was only ever, um, you know, I owed the boys. You know, they looked after me when I was in there. So, basically, if I didn't do it, I was a wronging. And uh, but nothing. you were out soon. You did. Yeah, you didn't, of course. You, that, you could have easily been a wronging. Yeah, and got away with yeah it. but I've got to live with myself. You know, I mean, I, I mean, this word perfect in the book. And if there's one thing I really would have liked to take the book was Dominic from Basildon to come for because all the blo- all the blokes that I put in the names were real names. Okay, yeah. I put the real names in because I wanted to. I was hoping that Dominic could ring up and say, "Hello, Harry. Thanks for mentioning me in the book so well. How are you going?" Because he he he, he might well have kept me. You know, who knows what how much I yeah. owe. Certainly. And Black, did, any, did any of the boys from the prison thing co- contact you? No, I mean Black Claw. I've been in contact with him all the time. But any of the other yesterday. boys, like, could some of them be dead now, and you wouldn't even know? Yeah, I wouldn't even know. I mean, Dominic. I mean, I actually went I, before, while I was right when I thought about writing the book before I was going to do the book before with Peter Thomas. I actually was down near Basel and I went into two pubs looking for him. And the second pub I went into, the guy, landlord, the bloke behind the bar said to me, listen, mate, he said, do yourself a favour. He said, Basel a fucking rough place. He said, don't be going around looking for geezers 30 years ago anymore. So I stopped, but I was opening the book that, that, that he would and uh, just to say thanks. But uh, certainly even the names that I used in the prison chapters, they were all, they were all absolutely, you know, you mentioned before about how Kay comes across very well in the book. Is there ever been a moment in your long marriage where she's turned around and no, gone, never, Harry, never. can we stop the fucking gambling? Never, never. Go in as a betting consultant. Never, never. She's oh, yeah? never once She's never once said the words that all gamblers hate. Why did you do that? Never once. 30 years, 31 years now. Never once, why did you do that? Even when you'd proper, proper millions oh, even on when, something. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you when we had... We had little, we had, I'll never forget it. We, and I haven't said this in anything before, but we had a dog with a guy called Clive Lefevre. And to be fair, we had it off with a dog called Balliard Pfeiffer. It beat Red Mick. I think that story's in the book. But there was another time when we had a dog and I didn't like this dog because I thought it was at the wrong track. It was at Romford. It was a big, big leggy thing at Romford. Anyway, I was never keen in any way. Anyway, he lined it up. Anyway, today's the day. I said, God, message. We've got to back the dog tomorrow. I had no money at all, literally. I was skinned up in Sheffield. And what am I going to do? So it's the only time I can ever remember doing it in a short-term emergency. The one and only time. And um, I said, Kay, I said, I've got no money. I said, I can't get any money. It was not like bank transfers now. And we literally pawned the jewellery. We literally went to the thing. We said, what else could we do? We couldn't get readies. And we went and pawned the jewellery to bet this dog. Anyway, it wasn't a great deal of money, but it was like decent money. It was like... 500 and I might have had 140 quid and we pawned when we had 600 quid on the dog anyway I had to walk down into the thing to back it I put one guy in the shop and another shop bang got beat got well beat just like I thought mm-hmm. anyway I've walked back up and it's an uphill climb back to the little flat we live in and I walked in and I thought this 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 will now I, I must get it now I must get the what why did you do that yeah, yeah, yeah. not a bit of it not a bitch. We completely opposite way. Oh no, don't worry. You know it's not important. Maybe we brought it back a week later or whatever. But even that, even that, never. So if that never got, I remember thinking. I remember the the race like it was yesterday. I remember walking up the hill. But if that never got, not a lot will. And even now, even you sold her jewelry for the bet, and she still was okay. With still it. was okay with it. Yeah. She so understood. she's just into the. It was an old fashioned love story. I'm very really. lucky. Don't get me wrong. Her mother, her mother had a her mother, 
her grandmother had a mother like me. Her grandmother was like me, and she was borrowing money, this, that, and the other. And her, therefore, her mother took the brunt of it. And her mother become all the way through her mother's life. She was penny counting, and Kay never had no money as a kid. She was the third of three kids. Her dad had a, her dad was the most wonderful man. But he had a Did he ever problem. have a problem with the fact that you were like your income was volatile? No, his fa her father, no, because he he loved me straight away. I loved him, and he loved me. I couldn't. He was the greatest father-in-law in the world, Raymond Duggan. He was just a wonderful man. And we talk about him every day. Kay talks about him every day. I wish my daughters, one of my, I mean, if my daughters loved me a hundredth as much as Kay loves her father. But he had a heart problem and he was out of work a lot. And Kay had no money. And one of Kay's major philosophies between the age of six to 16 was that when I'm older, I'm not going to worry about money. Does Kay know your stakes? Yeah, now she does. But did she back in the day? Like well, when, when you... we were flying, she didn't, when we were flying, she didn't care really. She didn't know. You know, I, I, I touch. I honestly, Kay says that if they, if Kay says that if they hadn't come after me and I'd have carried on all in horses and things had been like flying, she doesn't think we'd be together now. So, why? Because you would have lost the run yourself. She doesn't like the horses. She doesn't like the horses. She, she wasn't as big a fan. You know, I, I, one of the big things about the horses for me was the the, the trainers. I mean, I'm sure trainers like all owners, don't they? Because they have to be good to the owners, but. No, I, I, you know, I got on well with a lot of trainers, and I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the, the I enjoyed the sales. I enjoyed, you know, the intelligent conversation. And I enjoyed, you Do know. You remember after you won the gold cup in '08, the Indo did that fucking article, it kind of nearly accused you of being the snake oil oh, salesman. Oh yeah, but I know everything I know, wrong at racing. We, we know, yeah, but that article was written by the begrudger. Was there ever a point when you were on top and you were nearly with the aristocrats and you were a horse owner, you'd made your money? Was there ever a sense you that was nearly forgetting? that he was the pitch-and-toss gambler who'd now made it to the top. Was there ever a party no, that was getting lost? I think that's what annoyed him. I think that's what annoyed him. That you stay true to your roots. They couldn't handle that. Yeah, it just, I mean, Andy Stewart couldn't handle me at all. And I think, I think you know, winning the Gold Cup blew Andy Stewart, you know, killed Andy Stewart. And then... What did Nichols make you as a horse officiato? And yeah, no, if you were offering your opinion, would he have just have well, nearly... Uh, before, uh, my introduction with Nichols was through Paul Barber. And before I ever met Paul Nichols, or before I stepped foot in Paul Nichols' yard, Paul Nichols had been sh assured by uh, the owner and the fought the fought the man who started up one of the big independent betting companies in the country that I was a drug dealer. He'd, he'd, he'd you know, he'd guaranteed in that. I was Where a drug would he have dealer. got that information oh, though? From begrudges and from, from and the, just maybe like oh, the weed and jail the, shit. The, the whole, the whole, yeah, the whole li the, the lies that Nichols got told. I mean. You know, but it is unusual to see a man make millions of pounds from nothing, just from gambling. Like, that's an incredible achievement. Well, not really. I mean, Tony Bloom has made billions. So, I mean, it's all relative. Everything's relative in gambling. But isn't his more kind of algorithmy, maths, yeah. nerdy? You were 80s, 90s. You were yeah. you were just getting there ahead yeah. of the game. Yeah, sure. And a lot of what, a lot of, you know, I learned a lot from Tony, but he learned a lot from me. So... It works both ways, I suppose, but every, every, everything's relative. And I took a lot of chances. And hey, listen, I was lucky. Um, you know, after I lost the two million pound on the All Blacks, I had two million pound on Federer to beat Nadal at Wimbledon the following year. You know, and, and I made and I made I made Federer. I told Tony to have the biggest bet of his life. I made Federer the biggest certainty of all time, and it went to the fifth set. And if he'd have got beat, you know, that would have been a that would have been a bigger blow than the All Blacks. And uh, with the exception of the All Blacks bet, the one thing about doing the two million on the All Blacks was that I still had plenty of money left 
over three mil or whatever it was. I can't remember the yeah. rough figure. Right. And just for the listeners who don't know, this is the All Blacks in 07 when they were Yeah, when they got beat. But, but the fact of the matter is, listen, if you've got £200 in the world and you're creaking and you've got, as Don Cuddy would say, you've got holes in your shoes and you've got £200 on something at evens, believe you me, that becomes more important than having £2 million on the All Blacks when you've got five. And that is why whenever a cabbie recognises me or whenever anyone sees, sees me and says, oh, Harry, give us a tip, I take it very, very seriously. Yeah, you because know, it, exactly, like 2.5 million is how many thousand times more than a certain oh. number, but your heart and your brain can only take so much stress. Oh. When you were there and the, the corridor went off and you knew the 2.5 million pounds at the window, you had six foot, whatever, yeah. has there been a grand or 1,500 bets that in a way have felt the same stress-wise? It's all oh, yeah. based on oh, the context abso- of your oh, absolutely, life. Absolutely, absolutely. With, with, with the All Blacks, it was a different kind of buzz because I knew I'd ruined other people. I'd sold so many people to back them over a long period of time and I wasn't skinned at the end of it. So I was more worried about, my brain was more worried adding up how much I'd cost other people. And your gardener, Charlie, isn't it? Yeah, well, he was so cool. He, he was everyone, ice- It's funny, everyone talks about Charlie. Everyone he left that. an ice cream box at 28 grand yeah. in your office and he went for it. But of course, you see, Did he, you ever he, think of refunding him? No, of course, <laughs> that's the first stupid thing you said. I'm sure if I did, he'd have, and I'm sure if I did, he'd have been mortally offended, like any good man would be, because Charlie wasn't. Charlie was a was a big fit man who comes from Bath, and he knew his rugby. He knew he, when I was telling him why All Blacks were such certainties, he agreed, and he actually had a thousand pound saver on the winners, which I never did. Oh, so he actually got four grand back or whatever on the winners. But no, he, to say he took it like a man would be an under... And a lot of people didn't take it like a man that night, but Charlie certainly did. As a guy who makes his money off sport and off gambling, do you just view yourself as exempt from the economy? And yeah. it's late 07 when you had that bet on, which coincides with the economy fucking crashing. People yeah. losing their homes, people losing yeah. their jobs, politicians fucking suicides. Yeah, And in 07... You're just exempt from that, and you have money that most of England would have actually murdered people over. Yeah. And you're going rugby game two point five. Would you like just view yourself as a a different form? Of society? Oh yeah, I never. I, I didn't even re- re- realize until you said it the connection that those two dates were so close. Now I never, I never buy stocks or done. You know, my idea of buying stocks is having an anti-post bet on. On, on something long term like right now Donald Trump at odds against to, to win the election next year he's a certainty he's taking on nobody <laughs> what, what odds is he? well he's 208 you can get better than even money I mean Trump isn't odds on to win the next no year. Yeah, it was 2.4 a couple of weeks Hold ago on, it's, it's, it's guaranteed now. though it's guaranteed unless someone takes him out it's guaranteed Joe Biden but, but, with, but with the social media <laughs> or Pocahontas with the social media following he has and with the whole fame like, oh sure. mate listen do me a favour after what Boris has done I mean they've got no trouble you know he's just a certainty everyone knows people there's the elephant in the room people don't have to they're not allowed to. They're not allowed to talk about the elephant in the room subject. But when they go and vote for Boris or Donald Trump, they, they it's their one chance. There's just no betting. There is no betting. It's so good watching them all scream when he, like watching them all, watching all them, all the leftists. You know, Harry. You know the way you're a guy who loves to read the psychology of a sports person, how their brains work. And I've seen you comment on like how you saw body language before and how it made you think about a bet, like when the Rabbitohs saved your arse that yes. time they won. Yeah, you talked about how about it all the, dark, the lack all the, of, the lack of celebration from one of their try scores lets you know they mean business. Yeah, and there's been other things like it's funny. It's funny that story, you know, because. Um, I might have been lucky because I've, I've since turned out to be pretty good mates with Madge Maguire and I was at a do with him and I went to Australia. I went to the Tokyo for the 
weekends rugby. And then I went on to watch the Roosters. I was on the Roosters and I went to watch okay. him win. Thing and I, 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 I see quite a lot of Madge McGuire now. He's on my phone safe because he was the man, the coach when they saved my life. And was Russell Crowe the owner? Yeah, Russell Crowe was the owner. Yeah. Did you ever, did you ever meet him? No, I never met him. But Madge McGuire, one of the turning points for me that year was was when they all went mad at the, they, they all went, they were playing at Barlow Park, which is really humid, and when they scored the try, they all went mad. And um, this, like, like you say, psychologically, I just thought this is it. This is their year. And then I, there was I. Two months ago, having lunch with Madge on the way back, we shared a taxi back to Kudji and he said to me, you know in the book about the thing, he said, well, we had a bet that year. They, they had a thing bet going between them that they would all, that they had to go and do this thing. So had I known it, had I, had I, I found out two months ago, this happened a hell of a lot. So, you know, that's why sometimes luck can be, be good for you. And then I realised that the, obviously it wasn't just at Barlow Park that all the all the rabbit holes were running down and celebrating the try. It was the sort of thing that Madge had sort of got them up to. So, you know, who knows? But um, You say save your life there. Do you think the rabbit hole's bed actually possibly yeah, saved I, I your do, life? Yeah, because I, I, I think right now that my my life with, you know, I... You think you would have done yourself? If they, no, if, I wouldn't have done myself, but it would have been a very bad way. You know, I, I, think, I, I, I think it would have cost my relationship with Kay, and which at this stage in my life would have been... And I don't think I'd have been livable if the rabbit hole's under one that day because I fancied them so strongly. And I was in such a predicament. And even, even that they won, I still... It's been a, the next year was a real tough thing with them winning, and I have not. You listen, when you when you write a book as honestly as that book's written, and you put that dedication at the front, it's got to it it mean it meant everything, and uh, that's it goes back to what I said twenty minutes ago. Hey, luck, luck, luck plays a big part. Luck plays a big part. Do you think backing animals is more rational than backing human sports because do you think a horse knows it's supposed to win? No, I, I, I think I, I, I trust greyhounds. You think they know? Implicitly. If I, you think if a I, greyhound knows I'm supposed to finish first here? I think Gailey Noble did. One dog in <laughs> 30 years. Uh, that's, a, that's the truthful answer. But the other dogs know they're, 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 they're sight hounds. But I have almost crazy trust in it. There's a dog at the moment that's winning over hurdles. And I did it Sunday night at a thousand to win two fifty. The last four Sunday nights now, one day he's going to do it wrong, and one day he's going to do it. He's going to make a mistake. But, but they're just chasing the hair, are they? I know. But this this particular dog, I mean, there's a there's a dog now in the country, and I, I I've backed it to win a. There's a, the best dog I've seen for twenty thirty years in England at the moment called Ice on Fire. It runs on Thursday night, and I've backed it to win. I backed it to win sixty grand at thirty three to one, twenty to one, fourteen to one. It's now ten to one. The shortest favourite for years. Um. And I know I've got all this tickets stuck on the fridge and all my mates are on and it's better than owning the dog. Owning, I've always said that betting on dogs, I said it in this interview in half an hour ago, and I'm getting more of a thrill out of Ice on Fire as a punter than if you said to me, Harry, the amount of fun you've already had with Ice on Fire, all the bets and got you a few quid this winter, it's much better than owning it. But do you think in terms of actual punting, backing animals... It doesn't really make sense because like they could have a hamstring strain and not be able to tell anyone. Yeah, well, they, if, if you're a horse or a grand, you have a hamstring strain. You're going to do your money anyway. It's going to pull up. But no, I, because I, they don't know what they're supposed to do. If you back a team, like let's say they said they they want to win, yeah. so they're with your money. Yeah, well, I've if you back I'm, a horse or a dog, they're not necessarily with your money. No, but they want you know you know certain things happen in the races, horses and dogs. But overall. You know, you see, it's all about price. I mean, you see everything. Every, if you're a winning punter, it's all a price related and what price anything is. So you, it's your job to work out what chances there are of the dog doing whatever wrong or 
that all, that all comes in the price. It's like that dog I said on the Sunday night. You bet four to win one. But what what is the real? What is the true price? That's the that's was the it skill. What, was it fixed back in the day? A lot of the sports. No. Because obviously you talk about. Do you remember the South African cricket? Oh, I was Hansi Cronia. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I'm then a, they claim that the mafia. Oh, no, Hansi Cronia was definitely crooked, and and, and and he was going to write. He was going to expose cricket. And and there's no doubt Hansi Cronia Hansi Cronia was badly crooked. No doubt. And there's no doubt cricket is. And you think he was murdered because he was going to expose the crookedness I, of cricket? Not in a position. Once again, I don't like saying things I don't know 100% about. I've heard a lot of rumours and all yeah. that lot, and it's, it's probably favourite, but would I bet two to five? What odds would you give that rumour being well, true? Well, that's it. I'd have, to, I'd, have to, I'd have to go away and read and study it more. I don't like, I don't, even in podcasts, you know, in, in, in this one, I don't like quoting on things I don't, I, I don't know so about. So he was crooked. But, but I know he was crooked, and I know, I know a certain group of cricketers are crooked a lot more than any other. Why and, wouldn't they be crooked if you think about it, though? Because, like, they're because not 15. Sport is, sport but is, a lot of these guys, like snooker players, for example, and darts players, yeah, but snooker, what pride t- can you take yeah, in le- being the best at throwing something at a board over oh, money? That's, no, that's disrespectful, I think. It's, if you're a good dart player, it is, it is a very important thing. And snooker... It's a pub game, let, though, yeah, that was popularised. You, you mentioned snooker. Let me tell you now, I'll, I'll watch snooker for 20 years. Never missed a... I've never missed a tournament for about 15 years. And let me tell you now, in all those 15, 16 years of going to snooker tournaments, I know that of two bent matches, and one of them was Peter Francisco against Jimmy White, when everyone knew before that it was back to be 10-2, and poor Jimmy knew, and he, he it put Jimmy in the nuthouse. He's trying to get him to you know, win an extra frame to stop all that we were on Radio 5, Radio 4. But, and that, and that, that fat geezer, and Lee, what's his name? He was a cheat. But other than that... But only the guys I, I, who get other, caught. Only the guys who get caught are cheats. Yeah, but they, oh, listen, let me tell you now. I was at every tournament, staying with the players, living with them. No one even thought about cheating. And Johnny Higgins, my mate Johnny Higgins, when he'd done that interview, Johnny Higgins is... is, is, is why is he such a great professional? Johnny Higgins is straighter than straighter. Than straight. And then, I mean, Davis, Henry, none of these players. Jimmy White. Jimmy White still loves the game even more even more now than he did as a teenager. I can't tell you how straight snooker was. And if it wasn't, I'd have been skin. And let's say golf. Let's say golf. it's an irrelevant tournament. It's not a major. And it's match betting. Two players going out. Surely, if mate, because like the mafia, the mafia, one of their main things was the gambling industry years back. If people think yeah, the mafia well, still aren't involved in the gambling no, industry, I, 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 would it not be very easy to go next hole in play betting? No, next hole, Jimmy you, Walker, you, you, you put have, that thing you, into the forest. Not, there's not enough betting in one hole. You, you could maybe get how much could you seriously, even at a big tournament, even if it was say the Sunday, this Sunday night, the Miami Open, Patrick, you know, Patrick Reed versus Henrik Stenson. How much could you feasibly get on? In a in a in a in a in a in a eighteen hole match bet, maybe at a push if you got on everywhere you could thirty or forty grand somehow you'd manage to get that on. I mean that's you know by the time the player takes a cut, by the time play. I mean I listen. Maybe you're right more more right than I am. Tony Bloom used to say to me, Harry, you're so naive. You're so naive. And Tony Bloom would say yeah, sports uh, crooked. He'd say it's more crooked than me. And you know he was right. I mean I remember. I think I must have told the story in the book when he asked him with the floodlights, when he told me the floodlights were going to go out. And Fuck I, off. Oh, no, it's in the book. Bloom man. knew. Bloom told me. I kept betting West Ham that day or Arsenal, whatever it was. It's in the book. I thought you read the book. I did read the book. He, he, he said to me, Harry, and I, I, was in, I was in Australia, and I said, Tony, please, please, not this time, please. And all day I took the piss out of him. Jokes, getting people to ring him up, Tony, the floodlights, floodlights. Anyway, I'm around Bradley's house. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm having my brother, I had my breakfast, I'm reading the 
dog, look at the dog form. It's a beautiful sunny day. I'm watching the game. And after 20 minutes, the light has gone out. And I thought, oh, well, it's, it's, it's Opus or Fox Telly. It'll come back on. And all of a sudden, the commentator says, the floodlights. Oh, humble pie. I nearly... I nearly, I nearly Was oh. Bloom the best you've seen as a gambler? Yes. In terms of his analytical brain or just passion for... Like... In terms of... If he played people head-to-head at poker, he'd, he'd kill them. He'd Why be... was he so good at all forms of gambling? Um, was he a genius? Do you think he's a genius? Borderline, yeah. I think his mum once said to me, he never gets beat at the math. Um, I think now there's a new group of pundits coming through that are doing the same sort of thing. Um, he was he was, he was, was one step ahead of... Uh... Do you think knowing that, you're nearly certain that for the next five years, Brighton can't get relegated because he's in charge? Oh, absolutely. So you're going to get that at like one to six every oh, season? I'm getting money out of Brighton. How did Brighton not win last night? How did they not win last night? Absolutely. Have you never seen any team dominate a team away from home? And I was in Australia two months ago, and I've got to grass them up. The Australian boys said to me, Brighton will go down. They've spent all this money. You can't get this team to play football. And I looked at him. And I said, the Lizards spent 18 million and you think they're going to go down? And he goes, oh, yeah, my Brighton boys, you watch them every week. I said, yeah. I said, we'll keep watching. If they go down, I'll eat a treat <laughs> this year or next year. And if, if anyone thought they were going down, it after last night, they won't. They could have been 4 nil up at Palace. Do you think they're more likely to become a top four candidate than get relegation? I think he's, a, I think he's so professional, Lizard, at everything. And it's like I said, going back three years, when Newcastle was searched to win the league and ended up Brighton, it's one of them is that Ashley and the other one's Tony Bloom. You can't. It saved me a fortune. Otherwise, I'd have got. I'd have done my brains on. Do you think owners are the most vital component of the organisation? I think he is. I think he, I think that's the advantage of Brighton. If I could, you know, it, you know, look what he's doing. Look what he's doing. Look, I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? What he's doing. Is there any controversy about the fact that he's still involved? Also, in gambling? what he's doing. Chris, what crowd was doing at Sheffield United, by the way? Is uh, yeah. I mean, they are. They are. I mean, I bet him odds. I bet him odds on to beat Villa. I'm thinking about. I'm betting Sheffield United. I'd, uh, was know, the Asian handicap though such a money giver to you? Oh. And the story that you have for all the listeners who haven't read, and by the way, do get on <laughs> Harry Finley, My Gambling Life Before Christmas. The story though about Gambling Tony Bloom taking her gaff off you. Oh yeah, well, and, I mean, we got bit at the end, but I mean, I, but he took he he he. You yeah, sold him your house, it, yeah, and then you had the Asian handicap. Yeah, but, about, even on my own. I mean, we, we we fell out before the World Cup. We fell out before the World Cup. I had the. I had, the, uh, I had the BHA thing, the fallout with Tony Bloom, the selling of the house, all that just before the World Cup. And I thought, I've got a little bit of dough now. I'm on my own. I've been on my own ever since, but I still had a great World Cup. Yeah, I've won in every World Cup. Have you had any partners since, gambling wise? No. I've got, I've got a cup. Just Glenn. Glenn's always been my partner, and I'd follow him on the horses. I do the, my football myself. Um, and for all those listeners who like a night in the casino, oh, how no. irrational do you find blackjack and roulette? I can't, couldn't, couldn't entertain it for one second. I literally, literally, I, the only bets I've ever had in the casino are one bet, red or black. So you've only got the three percent margin against you, less one and a half with a naught. So I, if you're going to play in the casinos, if you're going anywhere, just stick to that one rule. Just have your one bet, red or black, odd or even. It's a less percentage. You know, it's only 1.8 against you or whatever it is. But you think if you can't observe anything like behaviour, there's no... No, I mean, I, if I, I stay in, used to stay in the Crown in Melbourne, if I walk through, they have the machines now that show you seven or eight reds on the... They'll show you the last... Say, you, say you're walking past and you see seven reds or seven blacks and then you walk past and you look, just check there's only one zero because anyone who plays a table with two zeros needs their head examined. 
I mean, when you go to casinos and you see there's a table with one zero and one with two zero and people are playing on the table yeah. with two. I mean, <laughs> come on, give yourself a little Like, bit. would you put give five me- grand on a colour if it was offered to you at six to four? Oh, yeah. I'd put five grand at 21 to 20 if I got them. If you got the value. But no, it depends how much money I've got with those five grand on. But if you if you give me twenty one to twenty about an even money chance, I'd be in. What's your biggest feeler uh for the next year in sport in general? Ooh. It could be Cheltenham, it could be sport, it could be anything. Envoy Allen will win the Ballymore hurdle at Cheltenham and it will go for the Ballymore, not the Supreme, especially now, because Abracadabra will go for two miles. Um And rugby league, what are you thinking? And Env- rugby league, I I'm I, I'm against the favourites. I've bet Parramatta at 16s, they're now 12. And I'm, I've missed the 16 on Manly, but I'm going to have a half stake on Manly. What are you seeing in the Six Nations? I don't know enough about it. I, 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 you know, Like I say, I haven't studied it at this stage. And I, I won't be studying it. I'll do it match by match because there's other people that, that would know a lot more about it than me. I know that I read. I just read Rob Howley about his nine-month ban. And do you I, think that was fair? I think, it, like, I, I think he's... Being tragically hard done by. Now you read what Betsy's having. He's, his sister died and he had a gambling problem. There's absolutely zero, zero problem with regards to integrity. And he was betting, he was just betting like a normal punter on small things. He bet on some Wales games, which he certainly shouldn't have done. Which he was coaching on, though. Yeah. But I mean, if you look at the pattern of the bets, there was no, there was no big staking on Wales games, less if anything. Yeah. And his general pattern of betting is, to be honest, just one of a borderline interest loser gambler and with the with the mitigating circumstances of his sister and to be honest he, he's fell in the hole the the risk gambling rule has been made to stop corruption and to stop people cheating and taking a liberty and rob howley's fell into the gap uh, already was grasped up by a betway person i wish the betway person had let him have his world cup first because there was no integrity issue i feel terribly sorry for him but owen slot in the top player owen well. slot in the time says today will 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 anyone else trust him? And I just say, yes, you must trust him. Would you put gambling in the same category as drinking drugs in terms of, do you think it is a drug? Do you think that oh, adrenaline definitely. you get when it's coming, do you think it's equal? Like, oh, definitely. Do you, do, you, do you like a drink and a gamble or a spliff and a gamble simultaneously? I like I like a spliff regularly and I like a drink now and again and certainly wine with my dinner. But I love gambling more than anything else. I, I can't explain the mood change. I've said it in interviews before. If you have one mood, like this morning, we bet the losers in the cricket, the Aussie boys rung up. We bet Brisbane before the match at just under evens and we bet them at four to six at half time. Um, paid a massive fine when the top three were out, but we lost. Now, there's no bets today. There's no horse bets today. The football's crap. It's thing. That'll be the only bet today. And, Did you ever go David? But, but what I'm saying is my mood, my mood on the day it was, will be lesser than it would have been if Brisbane had won, yeah. and that's that's something you live with as a gambler. You just you do get an under, you know it's just weird. How your whole you can be having a real stressful Saturday and things are getting on top. You're doing I'll do it on my own on a Saturday, bang bang bang, and then suddenly you'd have a good little twenty minutes and a dog will win or also win. The football team would score a last minute goal, and you go make a cup. You're a different person. You're a different yeah. person. And does that last like, forty years? Yeah, that- yeah. That, that last more for listen. The one great thing about gambling, the one great thing about sport, is other people. Other people lose their jobs when they're 63, gynecologists and artists and people. What a weird one, gynecologists. Well, whatever. They, all, they lose their skills even doctors. earlier. Even yeah. earlier. They lose surgeons, etc. lose their skills at an early stage. You know. So what I'm saying is they, you know, a lot of people, when they get older, but people love it more and more and more. You watch Bruff Scott at the races. You watch these people that have been in racing all their life. You love it even more when you get older. I, 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 I honestly think that I love the sport 
more than ever. I, I really do. If you think about it, though, it is like as long as capitalism exists and we value money as the highest importance in life, the concept of risking it to make more, it's a timeless entertainment oh, it, mechanism, isn't it? It is. I just, I just wish that there was a way of helping the young punters. There's so many young punters betting on football now. And seriously, if I thought we could sell them out, I would go and speak in six theatres and have young, loads of young football punters and I'd, I'd help them. I'd help Did them you ever out, think you know? opening a betting consultancy like Bloom has done? Consultants is more or less uh, a vehicle for them to get on more for themselves, really. Okay, I'd imagine, yeah. you know, not for grass anyone up here, but no, you know, they they just they have investors in it, but just to make it look good, they do all their worried about. Did you have a bet on the day your daughter was born? Like, you have a bet on every day? No, but the day the first day Jay was born, I was in the hospital, but I left it when it was happening because Man United were playing Barcelona in the. Cup winners' cup final. I wasn't going to miss that. And, and I went back. Did you, did you have a punt it on? Or yeah, you I did, as a uh, no, I didn't. I bought a punt on that match. Or have United? I think I was being Hughes. Yeah, Hughes, Hughes, time. Yeah, Hughes winner. I don't bet on goal scorers. I don't think I've ever bet on goal first goal scorer. Yeah, it's just someone ran me up the other day and told me a dart player. I said, "Oh, you got a lump on this dart player. Straight sets, straight sets." And that's the biggest mugs game in the world: betting straight sets. Yeah. Show me anyone who's made a living out of betting straight sets. Anyway, dart player first set beat. I felt like I've done four hundred quid. It felt like four grand. But as much as <laughs> as much as it's been a great fifty whatever years, you do recognise that the career you have had or the life you've had now with the algorithms and the online companies and everyone in on the game, it's impossible for somebody of our generation to do what you did uh, because the the access isn't there. You were meeting Federer. You've had words with Roger Federer. You were with the Australian cricket team. You, you bought the thirteen man thing. You've information, you've access. Well, no one will ever get the chance to buy the 13th man again. That's why I, that's why I took it. One, because I, I knew I'd, I'd, I'd learn out of it, and I learned a lot. What did you learn? So it was on the oh. TV, Australia selling a 13th man. It's supposed learned, to be learned, for a rich dad to buy for his kid. I learned what I already knew, is that cricket's not like football. If Ronaldo was a cricketer, he'd have his own helicopter. He'd have his own... You know, if Ronaldo was a cricketer, he probably would have played for, you know, I don't know. But it's a different game. It's It's... Cricketers play for themselves. Footballers play for a team. What do you mean? They play for their own stats. Bowlers play play for... Yes, yes. And I knew that before. What was it like being in the Australian dressing room? Were they going, what are you doing here? It was just great seeing how much Booney wanted to care. I mean, listen, I knew when they put it up for offer that the the cricketers themselves would think it was a terrible idea. And and Booney Booney was already upset about it, thinking that he was going to get some 12-year-old from Queensland with an autograph book. And when he got a... He bought the auction. He got a 45 he year old the, he Bobby, professional bunny to go over me 30 with a mobile phone. He, honestly, I was 30 yards away from him, and his face was like a tomato with a big moustache. <laughs> and you had it backed. And what? You had Australia backed. Yeah, I had him backed, and I, I, I made him certain he's at half time, but they took the phone off me, so I couldn't do nothing at half time. But uh, so well, I got the money, and, I, and it was a good day because I, I, I grafted all day. I knew I'd met a few of them before, a couple of them before, and uh, a mutual friend was a good friend of Ricky Ponting's, uh, so, and he's a dog punter, so we got on great. But um, no, it was it was a hard day's work, and like to get to get Booney's respect and the quote in the book, uh, it was worth it just for that. And have a lunch with Glen McGrath in between innings. Well, that, exactly, the lunch was overcooked pasta. It was shocking, um, <laughs> but I, Glen McGrath is just what you—he was just. A, I had like half an hour to him on my own, and I mean, what a man! He just. Just an absolute sweetheart. Had such high stakes. I mean, how many times would you say you've bet over a hundred grand on something? Oh, say over a hundred grand. Oh no, it was, no. I'd say probably forty, fifty times. Let's maybe. say fifty yeah. grand. Yeah. How many times? I don't, you know, I don't know. A lot more, but 
You know, it's, like I said before, it's all relative to how you're going at the time. And sometimes, you know, I remember this town, Plymouth. I remember, I remember being in Plymouth three years ago when I was in a real bad way, right in the book and skin. And I, I maybe might have had staying or staying in a glamping thing, and I maybe had four or five hundred quid in the world. And Bill from Sheffield rang me up. He said, I "Have this little forecast H." And I thought, how can I do I've, I've got the missus and the two dogs and the thing. I've got 600 quid. How can I lay out 300 quid on a forecast? And as I'm doing it, I thought, I must be mad. You know what I mean? But I've, I just couldn't face it if it got beat. Anyway. From your 30 years of experience, in terms of dominance, professionalism, ability, talent, who were like the top five greatest sportsmen of our time? Well, you have your own. I mean, like, I remember Woosnam. People, you've, no, got, you've got to love No, Woosnam wasn't it. Oh, no, let me tell you about Woosnam. Woosnam was a great, great winner. Woosnam, Woosnam, whenever he got in a position to win, nine times out of ten, when Woosnam got in a position to win, he'd win. Uh, he, won the, he won the Masters. He won the Masters. And when he won the Masters... But he's not a great. No, like we, Roger. Listen, you've, well, Roger, we all know. Everyone knows about Roger Federer. Everyone knows about him. But you're asking me about winners. And I, you know, I met Woosnam as a very young man. He wanted to beat me up once over, over a basket meal, over a... <laughs> That's when I had the credit cards. We were arguing who's going to pay for the mit, who's going to pay for lunch. He said, I'll pay. I said, I'll pay. But little did he know, mine was for free. So I was like, that's it. Next thing, he wanted to take me outside. And uh, But what? But he's, a, he's a massive winner. And when he won, funny you say, when he won the Masters, when he won the Masters, he was one. He was in front going into the last round and he was nearly evens going into the last round, almost evens. Anyway, I had 40-odd grand in with Dudley and Lights and they were slow paying me and messing me around. And I said, fuck it. I'd have the 43 grand, the whole lot on. So I had 43,000. Because in those days, the Masters, the final round of the Masters live, it was one of the few sporting events you got the whole thing live. You know, there's no sky in those days. So the, the Masters the, and, and the, the British Open went on Sunday afternoon. They were big things. And I said, Ian, such, I've got plenty of money off Ian Woosnam. I'm going to go with him. He's such a little tough bloody winner. And I'll never forget it. I was in the little cottage, little white cottage like this. My daughter would have been three or four year old and it was 80 odd grand or nothing, Ian Woosnam. And he had a 12 foot putt at the last to, to, to win the Masters. And when he got it, that's one of my best ever gambling moments. And then with that 80 grand, you would say like eight for spending and then we might go 70 again well, or something down the line. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> you don't really budget. No, I mean, it was, it was like, it was just, it, I was getting messed about and I just thought, I was, and I just I wanted, and I had it on. And of course, the Ajax story is famous. I had 40 odd grand on Ajax when that was all I had. And there, you know, like I say, I'm lucky because because Woozy Easy could have got beat. Yeah, Ajax yeah. was the Cup Winners' Cup final. Yes, that was a great one. That was, uh, and it was all or nothing. All or nothing. Kay was eight months pregnant. Why does it have to be all or nothing? Was it ever be like half? No, because no, that was a, there was a reason for that. I was at the races betting horses, and I bet two horses in a handicap, and they both got beat. And I thought, what am I driving myself mad for? I was at the horses betting in four and five hundreds, and I, for some reason, the bookies went one to two Ajax when it should have been one to four. So I mean, how often the do those situations arise where you can get such a great price? I mean, Ajax drew the first game one all in 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 um, Torino. So how could they how could they be two on? They should have been two to seven or one to four. So I said, right, I've got forty four grand in the world. I'm having it all on before I lose. I literally the two horses got beat, and I literally got in a cab to the train station, went home, cashed the dough in, had it on, and went flew to Amsterdam and watched And it. you know those all they have in the world bets? There's obviously been times where they've lost. Yeah. So what do you do? Do you just start... Well, that's what I'm saying. I suppose I've been pretty lucky because I can't remember many of them getting beat. Phil Taylor against Dennis Priestley was the biggest ever where I was all in on, and more. And what did you have on that? 
oh, 150 grand. And that was everything. Christmas money, yeah, because he beat he beat Eric Bristow in the semis. There was a short end between them. But Bristow, I know Bristow and Philip Phil Taylor very well. And Bristow's there, don't he? Yeah. Well, yeah. Bristow, Taylor was 33 to 1 on to beat Bristow. But I knew there was a lot more. I knew that was in the semi-final. I knew there was history and I knew it was a danger. Anyway, Taylor beat him. 6-5 or 5-4. So now in the final, because Taylor got so because Bristow got so close to to Priestley, uh, because Bristow got so close to Taylor in the final, they suddenly went four to seven Phil Taylor instead of four to eleven. One of those Ajax scenarios, and I was already all in on Phil anyway. So I just said, push the lot in, and if he wins, we fly. If he wins, we we fly business class to Australia for three weeks, and if he gets beat, we're potless. Six days before Christmas, and my missus, Kay, she was only young at the time, never never has, doesn't say a lot. Never swears. And he lost the first two sets. He lost the first two sets, Phil Taylor. I'm on I'm up at Orton Little House in Orton. I'm on the set. She's on the floor watching it on a cushion like that. And he's lost the first two sets, three two. Should have won them both. Missed a few doubles. I've turned around to the missus. You asked about the missus earlier and the and the jewellery. I've said it were Kay. I said we're two. It's up to six, isn't it, the world championship? Up to six. I said, Kay, we're two nil down. I said, what, what, what are we gonna do? And she looked up at me and she said, He's a fucking certainty. That's what she said. He's a fucking certainty. And he won 6-3. Pissed up. And then that, six hours later, we were on the way to fucking... <laughs> we were business guy. But I mean, of all the times for the missus to say that, 2 nil down. I was literally shitting myself. But he done the business, Phil Taylor. What a fascinating way to, to live life. Are you just... You're punting till the cows come home and then you die one day, or is there any? Yeah, hope I hope like, I die. I do, you hope. Want to, do you want to leave money or what's your? Buzz? No, I don't want to leave money. No, I've looked up. Listen, my daughter's my young, my eldest daughter because uh, my Irish. I got my daughter's got a lot of Irish friends. Obviously, she went. She's one of the Oaks and the Derby Jay. She's married an American guy. She was teaching in Japan in Tokyo and met a Vietnamese American guy. Bang in love with him. So they've just got married. That's why I'm going over to meet him in uh, Florida in February. And so she's nearly done, and her eldest daughter, she's at college, she's 18. And once once they've got once they've gone through that, then uh, no, I don't need to worry about it. I'm not, I'm, I've never, ever worried about leaving anything. So you're just Carry gamble on. till death. Yeah, I want to go, I want to go and, uh, I, I like turning left when I got on the plane, and that's expensive nowadays. So, um, I mean, don't forget, when I was a young lad, I was always flying business all first, but it was so much cheaper in those days. Yeah. I mean, you know, I used to, you know, it's, it's crazy money now. Would you ever want to live anywhere else, or do you just yes, want to? Yes, I want to live in uh, um, anywhere that's warm in the winter. And uh, Queensland, I'd, I would have lived in Australia right you, from the first minute I arrived there. Do you there. fear death? Or do you, do you believe to, in God, or what? I used to, I used to. Well, I was, I, but until the BHA come after me, and until Coventry, I genuinely thought I was the happiest person in the world, and when you're the happiest person in the world, you, you, you do fear death. You do fear death. Yeah, you do. But when you get when you have the depression that I had, and I don't talk about a lot of people talk about depression. Flip, but yeah, you, you don't. Yours is a state of yeah. I've actually made all these decisions, and they're catching yeah, up on me. It was just yeah. Like, so, you know, it was the only time in my life I lost my self respect a bit as well, and I and I just couldn't see any way out of it. And when you're used to a certain quality of life, I mean. People have a lot less happen to them, and it affects them a lot worse. You know, there wouldn't be many people could cope with what I had to cope with, knowing the truth of what happened. But you know, you, you you know, you you enjoy it more when you come out the other end. It's like now, you know, the badness that happened to me made me feel so bad. 
But look at those post office. Look at those postmistresses. Those men and women who work for the post office. Who a woman went to went to prison, eight weeks pregnant, an Indian woman for nicking seventy five grand off the post office, and she did nothing. She did nothing wrong. You imagine the torture that person went through, and that's what you've always got to think of in life. When you're yeah. on the floor, there's people worse than you, and those poor postmistresses. Listen to them last night. I was crying my eyes out. Women who have done nothing wrong in their lives and they're going to prison and they're not allowed in the... When they go and watch the granddaughter and activity plays, they're not allowed in the same room as them because they've got a criminal record yeah. because the post office have got some faulty computer. And they're talking about giving them 56 million. They should give them 56 yeah. million each. Once again, it's the most underused word in the world. Relative. Every, some, everything's relative. And all through life, all through life, whenever I see... You know, people talk, you know, anyone badly disabled or you see anyone worse than yourself, you always think, you know, I used to work for the blind. When I first wanted to go to Australia 30 years ago, I worked for the blind and they teach you a lot as well. You know, blind people are great. That's why I'm enjoying this. I'm back in Infocheltenham as well, Paisley Park. Um, he's got a blind owner and to see him enjoying it so much and, you know, the national one racing, it's, uh, it's great. Harry Finley, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. They don't build them like it really anymore. Uh, How long was that one? How long are we? We've only just started. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, but is he waiting outside? Does he want us out? I'd like to keep going, but if he wants us out, he wants us out. No, he won't. He'll tell him to hear you some more time. It's been how many years, my oh, boy. Audio books, David. You still don't know my chairs of joy. No need to go, just take it slow. Podcast. And have you heard the Michael Anthony show? Makes me feel just fine. What's it to see? Makes me see the light. What about those tears? Cheers. My eyes, the hell's it make a fit? Makes me feel alright.